0: AE self-sourced opportunities are going to be really, really big this year. And I have a great guest coming on to talk about how you as an account executive or a full cycle sales rep can prospect more and rely less on your SDRs and BDRs so that you can hit and surpass your quota. Uh, we got Charlie Johnson. She's an account executive from Sales Loft. I think this is her third time on the podcast. And thanks for tuning in. My name is Jason Bay. You can call me Jay Bay. This is Outbound Squad, and we're all about doing two things, turning complete strangers into paying customers. So outbound, how to do the cold outreach and the cold emails and cold calls to get the meeting, and then what to do once you got the meeting to advance to close. So we're going to talk about her journey as an SDR to AE. One of the things that she talks about a lot is buddying up with top performers, which I think is a great and very underrated tip. So your ability to network within your company and get help. We're going to talk about how she blocks and tackles outbound. So her largest deals are self-sourced, and she's going to talk about how she makes time for outbound, when she does it, how she does it, how she shortens the time that it takes. She's going to talk about how she targets accounts. And of course, she's going to give us some really great outbound tips and tactics, especially when it comes to cold email. So this is going to be a great one. Without further ado, let's get to the interview with Charlie. I think you might be the first person that we've had on the podcast three times. <laughs> so so, Ooh,
1: so what do I
0: win? <laughs> people, are get, yeah, people are getting pretty used to you at this time. Um what's changed since the last time we talked? I think it's been probably five or six months. What's uh what's new? I know you're
1: I think it's been you're longer in time. Ag- you know?
0: <laughs> oh yeah. So what's uh how's everything been going? I know that uh you've gone on this journey through the conversations we've had of I think the first time we talked you were in SDR and then now you're an account executive. Like what are what are some of the things that have changed and what are you learning in that journey?
1: Yeah, so I am now an account executive which is uh, very different to an SDR role. Everyone always told me like it's a, it's a huge step up and I was like, yeah, whatever, whatever, <laughs> step up. Uh, but it really is a, a step up. Um and just like I struggled at the beginning of the SDR role, I would say I struggled at the beginning of the account executive role. Um but a mm. few things I took from being an, an SDR was the fact that it's good to make mistakes and it, it's good to to fail and to make those mistakes to learn from it. So I think the, the good thing about having that mentality from going from an SDR to an AE is quite quickly on, I was willing to kind of put myself into uncomfortable situations and when I did fail and when I did fall on my face I kind of saw it as well this is actually an opportunity for me to learn because there's no way I would have known how to overcome that if I didn't fail from doing it so lots of mistakes but I'd say right now I'm in a, I'm in a pretty good uh place with my accounting six tip journey but it has definitely been a journey
0: <laughs> yeah well uh, the reason I ask is that a lot of the folks that listen to the podcast are SDRs that want to become AEs or kind of recently hired AEs. Yeah. What's one thing, knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would do different in your first like couple months as an account executive?
1: Do you know what? I don't. I don't think so. Not to be big headed, but I was, um, if you ask anyone from my team, how many questions did Charlie ask on a daily <laughs> basis? Oh my God, it was ridiculous. I would I kind of found a few buddies internally within the AE team um, that I knew were high performers and I kind of really stuck close to them and would ask them um, for their time and ask them questions as well as asking the overall team. So I think at the beginning I was just willing to take as many meetings as possible even if I knew they weren't a good fit mm-hmm. just to practice and I asked so many questions. I don't care if it sounds stupid, my question, I'm going to ask it anyway anyway. Um, and I think that really helps me learn initially, just making sure that I'm, I'm relying, not relying, but like using the rest of the team, because in sales love, like we have some ridiculously talented account executives yep. who are I, I'm lucky enough to work with and lucky enough to have lent on during that initial process. So I don't think I could have done anything differently. I think I am ha- really happy with myself for just asking as many questions as possible i know if you're joining a new company that might not be as comfortable but it's the best thing i did just ask 101 questions a day and have those few people that are like your go-to for um helping you with uh with new things you don't know
0: yeah i it's funny because this is one of the things that i think for a lot of reps there's a lot of like the discomfort i think Mm. is uh like there's an insecurity with if I ask a lot of questions, people are going to think that I'm dumb. Do you Did you deal with that at all? Or do you just kind of like, like you know, I just I, need to get what I need to get here. Like, how do you kind of think about that?
1: Do you know what? Whenever I see someone and ask a question, no matter how many questions I ask, I never think, oh, not another question. I'm always wanting to help and answer. And you know what? I probably no. did get a bit annoying. I'm not going to lie. Like if you ask some of the people, <laughs> they'd be like, Charlie, just stop it. Like, stop with the questions. But Um I'll probably yeah, I did probably get annoying, but I don't really feel bad because at the beginning I'm in my learning journey and the quicker I understand this, the less questions I'll need to ask. So I've gone from asking a million questions a day to probably only two. (laughs) Okay, now. (laughs) So we've decreased it a lot. Um but now I'm that person who wants to help the rest of the team. So when new people do join, I have that experience from learning from the rest of the team that I can help those newer starters as well. So Swings and roundabouts. Yeah. I I think like ask questions at the beginning. Everyone wants you to succeed within the company. I don't I don't know a single person in our team who doesn't want someone to succeed. So everyone wants you to succeed. Yeah. So everyone's gonna help you. And then when you're that more tenured rep, you can then pay it forward and then help those new starters yeah.
0: as well. Yeah, I love that. Those are just some simple, very, very good tips. Like the buddying up with top performers kind of thing. It's uh you are what I what I get from you at least is that you are relentless about your development. So if that means making friends with top performers, if that means asking a bunch of questions and getting uncomfortable, if that means taking sales calls, knowing that I'm not like as good as I want to be at this, and this is going to be kind of rough taking all of these meetings, Mm -hmm. or maybe this might not lead to the place that I want, but I need to get through that learning curve. I think having that relentlessness with the development is super, super important for people that are just getting into roles
1: um it's not easy to do either like it's not easy okay. like, I really have to push myself to do it like there's sometimes when I'm like yeah. I really don't want to do this demo I don't feel comfortable doing it but I'm just kind of like hype myself up I do this little thing where I have a little mm. run around the room I have a little run around I hype myself up, and I'm like you can do this and I'll just go in with such a positive attitude and be like I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna smash it and I just force myself yeah to do things that deep down inside I'm like I really don't want to do this but I force myself and almost put on this persona yeah Um, and from doing that it's it's helped me long term
0: I love that I love that so a big theme for today's conversation is going to be around self-sourcing pipeline as an account executive yeah and uh there's some really good stats just from sales loft and I'll kind of read them off um They looked at a few hundred account executives and they sort of studied a bunch of different uh, behaviors, but one of them was how they outbound and how much of their pipeline that they self-source. And for anyone listening that's selling something from 25 to 75K, the top performers will self-source about 36% of their pipeline, 75 to 150K is 61%. And then for whatever reason, 150K plus, it goes down just a little bit, it's 47% any way you look at the numbers, it's like a third or more of your pipeline needs to come from you doing outbound. And I was just training a group of very young SDRs yesterday. And I was like, that's how I always start the trainings now is like this skill, this self-sourcing skill, this prospecting skill, like this is a must for an account executive. Cause everyone wanted to become an account executive. Like you need to master this because you won't hit quota unless you do this. So like you're building those skills now. Um, so, the biggest excuse I hear from account executives, though, is oh, I don't have time to do it. It's not a priority. I'm too busy doing all this other stuff. So, I want to talk to you first about how do you make time for this? Like, how do you block and tackle your week to prioritize this time? And when do you do it? How long do you spend? All that kind of stuff.
1: You kind of like spoke about it there. But if I don't do my own self source and I don't book my own meetings, I will not hit target or I will not exceed my quota. And I'm, although there's all this stuff detached from the outcome, oh my God, do I want to hit quota every single, every single month and every single quarter and I'll do everything in my power to to do that. Yeah. So if I don't do this pipeline gen part of it, I won't hit target. And if you look at my pipeline and the deals that I've closed, all of the largest ones are from self-sourcing. So it kind of shows, oh, wow. yeah. And like, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have hit my target. And I wouldn't be close to hitting my annual target because I've I've needed these deals, especially when the, the, the current climate is quite uncertain. There is a reduced mm-hmm. number of inbounds. Sometimes it is difficult to get hold of people. So we do need to have a fuller pipeline, which is why it's just a necessity for, for me to do it. So short answer, if I don't pipeline Jen. I'm not hissing target. So it's not like, a oh, it's a nice to do, I have to do it. And I think when you change your mindset from being like, oh, I should do it to I have to do it, you then suddenly start to make time from it. So even if that is you getting up an hour earlier and doing it or staying an hour late, like long term, it's going to benefit you massively and and you can prioritize your time better. I think one of the other things that I've done to make sure I can prioritize um, booking meetings is... I didn't do this so much when I first started as an AE, but now I will disqualify deals if I don't think that they're a good fit and I'll have more of a consultative approach. So if they don't have a big enough sales team or actually they're not really challenging that much, I will also challenge them and being like, guys, I don't, I don't think you need this right now. You're doing fine. And I don't think it's a big enough challenge to warrant a move into a sales engagement solution. And if they push back, like, no, we need this, fine. It's a qualified deal. But if they're like, mm, yeah, I think you're right then don't waste more time on those opportunities when you could be spending your time on other things like doing Pipeline Gen. I think from doing that, I do free up space in my calendar. I don't just take everything. I'm, I'm really like, my time is valuable.
0: Yeah. I want to ask you about, you said the largest deals are self-sourced. Why do you think that is?
1: I think it helps me being an SDR. I know what a good account looks like, I know yeah. who to target and I kind of know the challenges that they're going to have. I know how to target them well. Um, and, uh, and without being big headed, I know I can get a reply from them if I'm uh, persistent enough. Um, yep. so as an SDR, you're obviously targeted on like SDOs is what we call them internally. So any qualified meeting is an opportunity, but as an AE, I don't want to be wasting my time pipe genning small opportunities. So I will pipeline gen my tier one accounts I have my top 100 accounts that I want to go after and I tier them and I'll go after those tier ones first. I'll go after those tier ones and I'll go after those tier two. So I'm only targeting larger accounts. Um, and then the SDR meetings will be more of like the mid-sized and and the smaller accounts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as an SDR, you obviously target anyone. But as an AE, you're like, well, I'm not going to waste yeah. the little time I have on a small account. So yeah, I only target like larger accounts.
0: That's a whole, we could spend an hour just on how <laughs> there's so like the way an SDR is compensated is on yeah. generating meetings that AEs really don't want in most cases. Yeah. So it creates this friction, you know? Um, so you're able to target the larger accounts. You have the outbound abilities to break into these accounts. So you already know that these are have bigger sales teams, I would imagine. Whatever tech stack requirements or triggers that you need, like they have those things to get the conversation started. Um So if if we look at like over a typical week, what does it look like Monday through Friday? When do you block and tackle? How, how long, like how many, is there an activity uh, metric that you're shooting for on a weekly basis? Is there a number of meetings? Is it just hours? Is it a combination of it? Like, how do you know if you did enough self-sourcing, I guess?
1: yeah so at the
0: end of the week and how do you plan for it
1: I mean overall my target is how many meetings I can book so if I can book yep. two meetings a week I'll mm-hmm. be very happy with that and I can break that down in regards to from my AE cadence my my opportunity rate and my and my meeting rate is quite high and I think that's only because I've had so much experience being an SDR so I'm very yeah. particular with my outreach and I spend probably a bit longer um on the companies that i want to target but i kind of again without being big-headed i kind of know i'm going to get a, rep- a reply from them so that's my metric yeah. but overall i reckon like if i did and we call them day ones like how many people were adding into the funnel e- each day mm. if i do five day ones a day i i can get those one to two meetings quite easily But if I do a a block on Monday and Tuesday and I get those one to two meetings, I'm not just going to stop. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going until I can get some more meetings.
0: How, how long does that take you to do on a daily basis to add five day ones?
1: So it depends if uh, I try and do like two people from each company. So maybe that's like two companies, if not three companies. Mm -hmm. I don't spend too much time researching. I kind of know the five areas that I religiously want to go and research um, and I, yeah. um, I've i got very fast with that. So as soon as I find two or three really compelling things, I'm just going to move on. Um, so yeah. my research per company takes me about five to six minutes. And then per person, maybe a minute, I'll look on their LinkedIn profile and I'll Google their name to see if there's anything interesting. Um, so the research doesn't take that long. I do my research upfront. So I've got all my research done when I've added that person into the cadence. And then it makes the rest of the steps a lot easier to do right because i have all my research i know what to write on my linkedin invite because again i have that research and when i'm doing that video i know exactly what to say because i have that research and when i'm later on in the cadence and i'm on step 20 and i'm like god i can't be bothered to do step 20 in my cadence i again have all the research so i know what to um, yeah. insert and i take my research like one step further because i know uh, like, i'm just like any human like i can be lazy and if i'm on a step and i have to write a whole email and i'm busy i'll be like oh step 20, yeah. do I really want to do this? So what I do in my research notes is I make them really clear. So I'll be like company, um, information, person, structure. And at the end, I have something called trigger templates. And I will um, prompt future me which templates to insert. So if they're hiring SDRs, I can say hiring SDRs, trigger template. And if maybe they're um, targeting enterprise, as an example, I could be like enterprise template. So I know what to add in later on. Um, because again, as an AE, you don't have as much time. Most of my replies do come from the front end of my cadence, but I do get replies later on in it. So it is important to make sure that the content still is personalized. And with trigger templates. It's technically templated, but it is, it's kind of personalized yeah. as well.
0: Got it. So would it be fair to say, is this like an hour a day, hour and a half on average? Like, And the reason I'm asking is mm-hmm. I want people to have kind of a good idea of like how much time should I really save on a daily basis to get this stuff done how long yeah. does it would it typically take you over the course of a week on average just kind of per day
1: sometimes it know, when mean, yeah to be honest but I, I can get a video done pretty quickly now yeah. it might take a bit longer yeah. But yeah I would say an hour's a good benchmark to to do a day yeah um but if for example like um on Friday I have the afternoon free so I know that I can be a, a bit more busy Wednesday and Thursday with my meetings. And then I can spend all Friday afternoon prospecting as an example. So I don't have Got to it. do hour every single day. If on Monday afternoon, I have a big load of free time. I'm going to be like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to bulk my, mm-hmm. my prospecting efforts there.
0: Got it. So an hour a day, roughly that's exactly what I recommend too. is, you know, I call it the 10% rule about 10% of your week, which amounts to about an hour a day for most people. Um, you're really, because you're you have your shit together so much from an outbound standpoint and you have all the stuff that you need it sounds like it puts you in a position where you can be hyper efficient so the fact that you know how to research really quickly you know exactly what you're looking for in account you have pre-made templates for everything you know who you're going to reach out to that one hour can be highly productive yeah. Cause sometimes it's, it's like, uh, I know some folks that will spend, you know, 30 minutes doing account research. Yeah. And like even,
1: yeah.
0: even for like an enterprise account, unless you're doing really high end strat, uh, sales, even for enterprise, that's kind of a long time to do before you even get a meeting with yeah. someone, and you know, before
1: my discovery call, I'll do more research than five minutes. Right. Of course. The, the Cause they've earned,
0: they've yeah, earned that time exactly. from you, you know?
1: And the whole point of an SDR role or doing pipeline gen is to gain a bit of interest. That's all you need to do is you just need to peak a little Mm -hmm. bit of interest and enough interest for them to take 30 minutes on their calendar. So you don't actually need to do all your research there, which is why once I found like two or three things that are compelling enough and uh, things that I can use later on in the cadence, I stop there and I move on to the next something I, I think that's helped me get faster is i time myself i still do it to this day i, I time myself when yeah. i do my research when i do my videos yeah. um, and i'll be really strict with myself like i don't want to record a video more than three times even if i'm feeling yeah. a bit sleepy i just like the, do you know what the last one send it <laughs> if they're going to reply they're going to reply and um, if they're not going to reply then they're not yeah. going to reply and i make it a bit funny i'll be like oh I'm like oh sorry i haven't had my coffee yet anyway and i just try and yeah. like do it and be strict otherwise you'll just waste that whole hour on doing one thing So, like do it really strictly in regards to what you need to achieve in that hour as well
0: done is better than perfect as they say i want to ask you about one other thing that you've mentioned before we shift gears is you said i disqualify deals early and what it sounds like your approach is i've heard a people refer to their pipeline, I want it to look like a martini glass, you know, kind of thing where it's like, I'm spending a lot of time on very few high quality opportunities. When you say disqualify deals early, what are some of the things that you kind of look for? You mentioned a few, but what are some examples of things that you might look for or things that you might do to just pressure test a deal to be like, okay, this is just not worth pursuing. Like I'd rather do outbound on a net new opportunity. Like what are some of those guidelines that you have or principles that you follow there?
1: If I mean, different scenario. Let's say it's come inbound as an example. And if on the first inbound, I can't really get a lot of like good information in regards to why they're speaking to sales loft in the first place. When I'm doing my discovery at the beginning of the demo, if I also can't find Uh, a big enough challenge that they have to solve or a, a revenue target that they need to be hitting that's big enough and punchy enough for them to move from their current approach, then chances are they won't move. To get, to warrant the move to a new tool doesn't just require you going internally and, and purchasing a tool, right? It requires so much resource internally to set up the integration, to train your new team on it, to make sure that they're adopting it. It's, it's, it's a project, right? And if they don't have a big enough challenge or they don't have a big enough revenue goal for them to, to move to Sales Loft, it's probably not a good fit right now. It might be in the future, but I think from having more of a consultative approach, people do respect it and i will just tell them straight i'll be like look i'm i'm going to be honest here like from what you've told me you're doing pretty well like it doesn't actually sound like you're struggling yeah. that much unless i'm missing anything but i'm not sure how much you need sales loft right now un- unless you tell me anything differently and you'll get one of two responses you'll get either no 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 we really need this like this is in the budget like we really want this and you'll get someone who pushes back or you'll get someone who's like mm, yeah may- maybe And I'll be like, do we really need to, is this a conversation for now or is this more of a conversation for the future? And they'll probably say the future. And I'll be like, look, let's save each other some time. Um, You're doing really well and you'll know when you need to move from your current approach to sales love. Like you'll know, you'll have enough challenges and your team will be telling you that they're struggling with with a lot of things. But right now you're doing pretty well. So I would just kind of like embrace your current process because it's working. And let's talk in the future when, when, when timing is probably better. Um, I think there's an Andy White um, medic quote. It's like, no one ever regrets qualifying out a deal. And it's so true. I've never regretted yep. qualifying out a single deal um, because they always come back when they're a good fit and it's timing isn't right. They always come back and they'll come back to me because they appreciate the fact that I'm being consultative and saying like, you don't need this right now, but you might need it in the yeah. future.
0: It's a great book, by the way, Medic by uh, Andy White's It's a really, really great book. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I love that. I love that. So uh, let's, let's shift gears. So the second part of this is a big part of just the efficiency as an AE, knowing that you have little time it means that you have little time to waste talking to people that are not like movers and shakers within an organization or spending too much time below the line. And the way that you target accounts, I think, is very interesting. But can you walk through the approach, like in your Dream 100, when you tier that out, those tier ones, how do you think about who you're going to reach out to? And who you want to get those first meetings with. How do you think about that and plan for that? I
1: have, I have the same process whenever I reach out to my tier ones. I literally, the first person I add to my cadence is a CEO. <laughs> I had the CEO first. Okay. If he's, if they have like, he or she has like a lot of like more technical background, then maybe I won't add them. But if they have sales background, 100%, they're going straight in my cadence. I will go top to yeah. so the most senior. So like CEO, VP, and then directors. But then what I'll also do on the side is while I'm doing my research is I'll go through and I'll add all the SDRs and I'll add all the AEs on, on LinkedIn as well. Um so when they do connect, I can ask them questions and find out the yeah. challenges in their role, maybe find out some of the business focuses to use for those more senior people. But with people like SDR managers who maybe like they're a great fit, but they're not necessarily going to be the person who can sign off on, on something like this. I will still do my groundswell and, and get speaking to them but more so use it as like a best practice opportunity and maybe be like oh hey look I can see you're growing your SDR team um I won't lie in prospecting you but I thought you might find this piece of content useful if there's anything in here it's a document I've created but if there's anything here that kind of uh, speaks to you let me know and we can set up a session and I'll do best practice not sales related best practice on a topic of your choice And I've been doing this and I've been getting good results from it. There's this one company I was targeting and I've gone after the the CEO, the VP, and I'm getting replies from them. I'm just struggling to pin them down. And I managed to get the SDR manager to connect to me and got to do a best practice session with their sales team. And not only did I find out so much information from this best practice session, what they're struggling with and their current tech stack and motion company goals the VP who I've been trying to pin down joined for like 10 minutes and I was like, great. Oh, cool. Now they know who I yeah. am and it makes it a bit more difficult for them to move that meeting that I have uh, put in for next week. It makes it a bit more difficult to move it because I've already spent time with your team. I've probably helped them a bit and I've already said that I'm willing to do this best practice session again. So what's 30 minutes from their mm-hmm. time with someone who's actually helping your team already?
0: Yeah. So if we're thinking through the medic framework, what this helps you get, this groundswelling, is you're kind of getting a better idea of what the metrics piece of it might be. And yep. who uh building a relationship with a potential champion, like that sort of stuff. What kind of uh Okay, so let's just go, let's rewind a bit. So you said you add the SDRs and AEs on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So, and then what you're doing with them, like what kind of questions, just so people have some examples, like what kind of stuff would you ask them? And is this just in the DMs and LinkedIn?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the DMs and LinkedIn. Some people are really open. Like if anyone added me on LinkedIn and asked me about Sales Loft, I will tell them. I've introduced people to the right people in in Sales Loft before because I'm like... Why not? It doesn't really make any difference to me. If I can help someone, yeah. then I'm happy to help. But some people are a bit like closed, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but you just have to find the right person to speak to. And usually those who accept your connection requests are, are those to, to speak to. So uh, all I do is I literally just share like my hypothesis and be like, look, um, thanks for connecting. I'll be completely transparent to you, like salesperson to salesperson. I'm targeting whoever. And this is my hypothesis that I've created from my research. And this is what I think the focus is. Um, Can you tell me how close or how far away I am from your experience? Mm. And sometimes people will be like, sorry, I don't feel comfortable sharing. But other times they'll be like, oh, my God, this is literally the focus. And once they get chatty, then I'll ask them more questions like, "Okay, what are you currently using? to?" You mentioned like Pipeline Gen is like a huge focus for your team and you're having these weekly meetings on it just for this. Like, what are you currently doing to get better? at pipeline gem what are you using what is what is the future goals and stuff like that and some people would be really open um and even as an SDR, i'd book meetings from reps as well i'd be like oh that's great like this is literally what sales does and they're like oh really okay um and i'll be like would you be able to introduce me to the relevant person and again they might say no but they might say yes as well so i'm getting that information yeah. but you sometimes get introductions as well i think as an sdr i books quite a few meetings just from getting introductions from other sdrs and other aes because if i introduce someone to like i don't know someone internally at sales they would listen to me so there's no reason why it'd be different for other companies as well
0: yeah so the goal then basically manager and below is insight gathering how can i find out get a good idea of what's going on so that yeah. when i reach out to that vp of sales or the CEO, CRO, et cetera, I have a good idea of kind of what the executive priorities might be
1: and how how I can
0: align sales left with that.
1: Yeah, groundswell is really important within the deal cycle as well. And I lost one of my first largest deals from not doing groundswell. They were like us and our competitor, they were like, we're struggling to pick between you and what our competitors Mm. did that I didn't do. And I was early on in my career, so I don't kind of beat myself up over it, is they did groundswell with the team and i didn't do it so eventually the decision because the seniority didn't care and all the rest didn't care because they liked both of them the overall decision came down to the reps and they preferred the competitor because they did ground yeah. and i didn't so ever since then oh boy am i ground swelling on every single opportunity that i'm uh getting yeah. so it, it it can sometimes come down to that
0: yeah that's interesting because A lot of times what I observe is lack of engagement with a champion or economic buyer in a deal. But you can go too far the opposite way, too, where the technical buyers part of uh, Medic, you know, in the decision, I guess it's decision criteria. uh, That's like reps and managers, the people that are going to be using Sales Loft, or in my case, that I'm going to be training. And if they don't know who I am and I've only been engaging with their bosses – Like, of course, if someone else, one of my competitors is engaged with them, they're going to be like, yeah, I like those guys better. I like their content. Like I have a relationship with them. That's a really good insight. Um,
1: You you want the team to be knocking at the manager's door being like, when are we getting this? Like, we want this as well. And if you have an entire SDR team asking leadership, like we want this. And I did it at my last company. We wanted Cognizant. I think it was Cognizant or Lead IQ. We wanted it. We wanted a better data tool. And oh my God, did we... Bug them every single day, and guess what? We eventually got it because we yeah. needed it, and we had a challenge. Um, so Brownswell yeah. helps, yeah, with 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 that part of it, but it also helps because if they're knocking at their door, being like, "We need this," it's going to help with their decision. and It's going to help with their decision faster as well.
0: Yeah, I love that. Uh, one of the things that. Okay, so. I'm curious about when you're doing outbound a lot of times, and I'm asking for the account executive that might be like, Oh, I got shut down. I reached out to a VP of sales. They said, conversation's not relevant right now, whatever it might be. And then they just stop. They mm-hmm. pretend like the decision is only up to this one person that has somewhat of a senior authority, let's say at an account. How do you think about When you're reaching out to an account, when you're not getting the responses that you need, or someone just says not interested, regardless of seniority. How do you think about the not taking a no for an answer kind of thing? I guess is my question.
1: If they have a decent objection, then fine. Like I'm willing to, I'm willing to, for them to say no. But just because one person says no in an account, I'm not, I'm not stopping reaching out. I'm going to find every single other stakeholder within that company that I can reach out to. Mm if they're all giving me the same kind of flavor, I can also call it out as well. I'll eventually get hold of them on an email, on a call or on LinkedIn and be like, look, this is the research that I'm doing. I'm getting the same answer internally. Is there like an objection? Because being completely honest, I can't give up physically until I have a good enough reason. And usually you'll then get the reply. Um, But a lot of the time not interested is either they know who you are and they have a competitor, or they know who you are, and they don't really need it right now, or it's just a fob-off. And most of the time, it's just a fob-off, not interested. So I'm going to try and get to the real answer and be like, completely understand. And I have a a framework for objection handling and be like, acknowledge the fact that completely understand. This isn't of interest. I wouldn't want to respond to a random salesperson reaching out to me um, me either. Just for my own learning, and I'm going to ask a question, how close was I with my hypothesis that... From X research, Y is a focus, question mark. Mm. Either way, best of luck with the growing team sounds like a really exciting time for the company. And a lot of the time you'll get a you'll get a reply from a, a structure like that, which will change the not interested into the actual real objection. And if it is that they have a competitor or they're just, they're moving to a new CRM or there's another compelling reason why they physically wouldn't need to, to move to something like sales yet, then that's fine. I'll reach out to them uh, next month. No joking. I'll reach out to them in in, <laughs> in the future, which is fine. But I, I yeah. want to get that real objection. I don't just want the FOB off. I want the real yeah. objection. That will stop yeah.
0: me. <laughs> Love it. So the takeaway is kind of here is start high, but don't forget to start low yeah. too. Do both. Because yeah. there's always this argument around what's the best approach. The best approach is just to reach out to everyone. <laughs> it's like yeah. a marketing campaign essentially that you're running on this company. Um I love the best practices sharing and the gathering of insights too. And it's just there's a there's a lot of really good stuff there. So if we shift gears into some of the, okay, yeah, you know, what do I say in the email call? That's where a lot of you know, you create a lot of really good content on this. What are you seeing kind of working for you, you know, in the last three, six months, that sort of stuff? What what kind of stuff are you seeing working well from a tactics standpoint?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of noise and I think why I get good replies is not only that I try and take my research a step further than others. And by step further, I don't mean I'm spending hours doing it. Again, I only spend about six minutes on, on my research. Um, but having good research and having a, a good structure, that's not salesy. When I hear people making calls, it's like they turn into a different, or writing emails, they turn into this different person and they're like, Hello, this is Charlotte from Sales Loft. I'm calling today and they they turn into this like weird little robot. And I'm like, I feel like just similar to how whenever I see an advert or whenever I'm playing Spotify, like, and I get an advert, I'm like, oh stop like get out yeah. whenever prospects hear that salesy structure oh we work with similar companies like x y whenever they hear that or will see it they probably feel the same way like oh stop please and then they'll delete it so something i try and do is to try and stay away from the usual like really strict structure and make it a bit more conversational and my emails have become a lot conversational as well like i put emojis in it i put haha I put lol um i literally just write like i speak and i do the same when i'm calling someone and i do the same when i'm writing a linkedin message as well so i think that's the big one for me just being a human and i think everyone prefers that that approach Because it's slightly differentiating yourself if everyone else has this really formal structure and being really salesy. Having that person who's just being themselves and having a bit of fun, you're more likely to engage with them. Tom Boston is such a good example of this. I remember his videos when he was still an SDR. I used to laugh so much at his video outreach just because he was just being so much himself And it was so endearing to just watch someone being completely themselves and having so much fun with what they're doing. I think that's why he did so well, because he was just completely himself. He wasn't putting on this little robot persona. He was completely completely himself. So that's number one. And I'll pause because I need a little sip of water.
0: (laughs) So the conversational element, uh, by the way, the stuff that you put together with the 30 Minutes Presidents Club, uh, guys, was really good the the little sequence or uh, cadence, excuse me, uh, templates and approach and that kind of stuff. Can you give us an example? When you say conversational emails, like what does that sound like? Is there is there a framework that you follow or anything like that?
1: so I still have like the rough framework of like personalization challenge call to action but I try not to make it so like hi first name I saw from your LinkedIn that x y and z was blah 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 the common challenges that other titles have um and then like do you have time I yeah. try and, like I have my structure by and keep away from that really salesy one and make it a bit n- more conversational like Sometimes like in my email, I'll be like, oh, like, be like, oh my God, like in really long language and being like, it's crazy how much you guys have hired. And I'll use words like guys and like just how I normally talk. Um, and mm-hmm. something, I mentioned this on um, the cold drip with them. Something I do is I start my my email, my LinkedIn, my call, whatever it is, maybe not so much call, you need to introduce yourself. but I start it with just the personalization and I add their first name yep. at the end because I don't want to waste characters. Um, I want them to see my email and see that I've actually personalized it and increase my chances of them clicking on it. So I'll do something which is more conversational and, and more chatty and be like crazy how much the sales team has grown over the past six months, first name. And then add yep. add in the challenges or be like um, I'm guessing and please correct me if I'm uh, completely wrong here because who am I to tell you what your challenges are? But I'm guessing and I'll make it more chilled and more like easier for them to reply. I won't do like a really rigid call to action. Like, do you have time next Tuesday at 3 p.m.? I'll just be like, look, I don't know if this is a fit, but open to swapping a couple of messages and then you can decide So try and keep it really chilled. Um I still follow that three step structure. And um, I just try and keep it a bit more less salesy and less formal personally, which works for me.
0: Yeah, I was, uh, I'm looking at the 30 Minutes to President's Club little deal that you created, and I'm going to read this first part. It, this is a really good example of just the conversational language, but it's also, like, it has your personality in it. You know, it's it, it says, your careers page is drowning in SDR roles, Armand. My psychic skills are probably off, but I'm guessing maybe there's even a push or struggle with generating good ops. You know, like, the my psychic skills are probably way off. It's just got, you're demonstrating that you took the time to, you know, put together a hypothesis on what you think is going on, but you didn't say my hypothesis is that yeah. this is like, it wasn't like, because you sell to these people every day. These, these are the people I sell to same, same audience, the VPs of sales and the CROs that I engage with, they just don't talk in a really formal manner. No, they, they just don't, yeah. they're super chill. And, uh, I think most executives, most executives are like that. There, of course, is going to be a formality in how they conduct themselves in front of strangers and, you know, how they conduct themselves in a public facing manner for sure, you know, but I think that that conversational element is, is great. And then the starting with the trigger, that's something I've been doing for a while too, is uh, the preview line of that email you know, starting it with the goods versus their name. It's just a little pattern interrupt that works really well. Yeah.
1: Also like with the subject line, um, I can't remember who shared this on LinkedIn the other day, but it was a really nice post and they shared their inbox and all of it said like first name and then hi, first name. And they were like, as soon as I see my name in the subject line and I see hi, first name, I know it's a sales email. So I just, Put it in the trash, right? So, yep. doing things with your subject line that again makes you a bit different, I think, is important. I always like to keep mine a bit random. Like, if in my, like, for example, that one you just said, um, my subject line might be psychic skills or something like that, something a bit different that doesn't really show that it's a salesy email. I don't want to put their first name, their company. I don't want to say 10 times pipeline or any of that stuff. I'm going to either yeah. put something personalized, like, a rep's name or something who's maybe been there the longest and then maybe I reference them in, in my email or video as well. Um or I'm gonna use a random word that I use in the email that I think is a bit different and a bit quirky, like psychic skills. Um so making sure that your subject line and those first I don't know how many it is, about like 90 characters, making sure mm-hmm. those stand out. The shocking thing, and um I did a presentation um at Sastock about this the shocking thing is an increasing amount of people are reading their emails on their apple watch so you have even less characters than 90 on your apple watch you can see like four words so if you're wasting yeah. it with a long subject line that that's done which is why i like to keep it yeah. to one word because um i had a colleague and he just viewed his watch and just put archive and i was like what is it i don't have an apple watch so i was like what Um, And it was that easy to look at an email and to just delete it. And they're going to do the same thing. Delete. They don't have time. They're just going to delete these all day long. So short subject line and and really make sure that your research is shown within that preview area of the email.
0: Yeah. Love that. And with cold calling, are you still doing something kind of similar where it'll be like, hey, Charlie, reaching out because notice that your career space is just drowning in SDR roles. Oh, by the way, it's Jason. You know so squad. I, I would
1: say I, I do say like it's Charlie from Sales Loft and I'll just be like look mm-hmm. I'm, I'm literally on your Chris page right now and I'm finding a few things like interesting when researching you do you have a second and they'll yeah. say yes and I'll be like look this is what I found really interesting and like I'm probably completely wrong here but you can uh, poke holes in this hypothesis but I'm guessing from this that this might be a focus. Am I close? And they'll be like, yes or no. All right. Uh, what is the focus? I, I, I've done this research. I've done a ton of other research. Can you point me in the okay. the right direction, and I can create another hypothesis for you. I'm just trying to make it conversational. How I would talk to my friends. How I would talk to my mum. Yeah. I just try and make it chilled. But I still do have. Is it's interesting. You say put your name at the end. I still do have like, hey, it's Charlie from from Sales loft. Like this is like this is really interesting. When reading your funding announcement, do you have a second? And I usually have that. And then conversation will take me still do like the two challenges like look from this I'm guessing and please poke holes if I'm completely wrong I'm guessing that maybe this or this is a challenge that the team are running into am I really close or which one of these is most real in your life right now and then getting them to pick and then just having the conversation from there but yeah just being chatty I think people get too nervous in cold calls because they're like oh what if they say no or what if not and it's like if you're on the phone to a friend and they say, no, you're just going to act like really chilled and really normal. Um, yeah. Which is what helps me in them as well.
0: No, definitely. Another subtle thing that you did there that I think is super important too, is you're narrating what you're looking at. I'm on your careers page right now mm. versus I noticed this thing, or yeah. I'm reaching out for this reason. It's Like literally like, Hey, I'm on your careers page right now. I think, I think narrating more of what you're thinking in sales in general is a very underrated skill. And Mm -hmm. even like when you're on a zoom call with someone like just narrating what it is that you're doing when you're trying to find something or just like, so people, you kind of remove the mystery of, of like what this person is thinking, you know? Um, This is great. Uh, A lot of stuff here. I think we got on some really good things on blocking and tackling outbound an hour a day, five day ones. Is your goal on a daily basis, the account targeting starting high and making sure that we groundswell as well. And then we got some great tips and tactics there. Uh, yeah. Before you take off, where can people go to connect with you? You have a, an ebook, if I remember correctly, yeah, uh, an ebook or a course that, that you just prospect, put out. Yep.
1: Prospects attractors. Uh, keep tuned. I'm, I'm going to release something, something cool soon as well. So keep, keep an eye out for that. Um, but just on LinkedIn, Charlotte Johnson at Sells loft <laughs> you can find me there yeah i'm always happy cool. to have a chat with people as well so like feel free to add and, and message me